welcome all of you that are here in the building this morning. <clears throat> we want to welcome all of you that have joined us around the globe this morning. All of you live, we thank you for uh, participating with us and those of you that will get this podcast. We've scaled everything back today because we're in the midst of transitioning from this direction to that direction. It will change your experience and your look from home. You'll probably see that next week, but uh, we appreciate all of you that are participating with us and standing for God's Word. And everybody said, let me read to you, and I want you to pay attention this morning to everything I read, <clears throat> like you do every week. And, uh, but think about this as we go into If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who is on our side, and we all should join them with this, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive if the Lord hadn't been on their side. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. But why didn't it? Because the Lord was on their side. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Why didn't it? Because the Lord was on their side. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. <clears throat> the snare is broken and we have escaped. Why? Because the Lord was on their side. Now I learned that lesson clearly 18 weeks ago. The Lord is in charge. It, that has helped relieve so much of my stress because I realize I ain't in control of anything. It's all about Him. Amen. The snare is broken. We've escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He made everything. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. That's our lot. Why? Because we trust in the Lord and He's on our side. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. Look around. Those of you that are born again to follow Jesus... That's who you are. So the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. For, I love this last line I'm going to read. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Amen. Amen. What a good word. The prophet said, a thousand may fall at your right hand and a thousand, but the Lord said it will not come near you. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Lord, we thank You for all You've done. All the physical things You've done, Lord. May we not take anything for granted, but more than all that, we thank you for the lives you've changed, for the people that have been saved, Lord, as a result of this ministry you planted here, Lord. Only you could make this happen. You gave us such a wonderful location, Lord. And we're, we thank you for that, Lord. And we realize that without you, we can't do anything. You make everything happen without you. But through you, we can do all things. As we give you praise, as we lift you up, Lord, we're not here to lift ourselves up or to lift any individual up or to lift a ministry up, Lord. We're here to lift you up, Jesus. 
we want you to be glorified in our midst. And everything that we do, we want you to understand, we know in our hearts and in our minds that you've made those things happen. May you always get the credit. May you always get the glory. May we take a back seat. And may you drive us. May you drive us all the way home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. He's worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. And uh, we have a nursery next door. The rest of you may be seated. There's a possibility that we may be, I may be teaching from that direction Wednesday. So, we'll see how things go each day. Have your Bibles uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. The chapter that most of the world wished was not in the Bible. But those of us who love the Lord understand, right? We understand that God is righteous and holy. And it's beyond God's perspective. Somebody said, well, I don't like a God that sees things the way he sees them. Well, sorry about your luck. It's just the way it is. But it's beyond that. It's not just God setting up the rules. It's righteousness, holiness that governs Him and His universe. And so there's going to be a judgment someday. We all know that. But that's really not the perspective I want to talk to you about tonight, this morning. I want to talk to you about uh, our perspective versus how the world. And so He gives us some insight into here. And I want you to be strong. I want all of us to be strong uh, and stand our ground. Turn to your neighbor and say, stand your ground. Now, I don't mean this because I don't mean this out of arrogance, but I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid. Only thing I fear is the Lord. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. If you don't fear God, you're going to be afraid of everything else. You're going to be afraid of sickness. You're going to be afraid of the stock market. You're going to be afraid of China and Russia and everything in between. But we don't have to fear anything because we fear the Lord. He's in charge, and I'm growing in that myself, just learning more and more that God is in charge, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that because He sees everything. He knows everything. He's been around the corner before we get there. He's the final judge. He made everything. He made me physically. He gave me spiritual life. So I'm good with God being in charge. If you're not good with God being in charge, you don't really know who He is. If you knew who He really was, and if you you understood what was really at stake, you would be glad that he's in charge. In fact, there's a psalm that says this, and the psalmist says it like this in the Hebrew. says, uh, the the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. But in the Hebrew, it says it this way. The Lord reigns, and you should be glad that it's him reigning and not someone else. And that is correct. Let's give the Lord praise for that. What if you were the judge? Everybody that knows you says, boo on that. What if I were the judge? Same thing, right? What if some prominent person were the judge? We don't want any of that. We want a God that is righteous, that cannot do any wrong. Think about that. That's the kind of God we want in charge, and that's the God that we have in charge. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, start with verse 16. This is our call. This is our lot. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God 
to salvation for everyone who believes. So he called us all there. He qualified this or quantified it by saying the Jew first and also the Greek. Now the Jews were giving. They were given the, the oracles of God. They were given. They were adorned with the things of God. They turned their back on that as a nation, as a group. Not all of them did. Some of them believed. But many of them as a group, they turned their back on that. And that's what we've watched every nation do over time. That's what we've been in the process of doing since the 1920s. Our nation has been going away from God since the roaring 20s, and we've gotten worse over time. We just keep resisting what he teaches and play by our own rules. Some tell you never say, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. So he says, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's our strength. That's what we are here for. That's what we believe in. That's what we know is going to be our ultimate salvation. It is our salvation, the keeping power that we live through, live by now. But it's ultimately our salvation that takes us all the way home. Can you say amen? amen. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, he brought this from Habakkuk, who said basically the same line in the Old Testament. So it means more than you and I just believing. It means that we believe in the faithfulness of God. So in other words, the just live by the faithfulness of God. The just live by our faith in His faithfulness. Have you found Him faithful? I certainly have found Him faithful just lately. We live in the faithfulness. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. And if we study who He is, and I suggest that, I suggest that you and I do an exhaustive study of who God is, His attributes, His characters. God deals with us according to what He teaches us in the Word. This reveals who He is in our lives and in the world. So the just are going to live by faith, and what are we going to live by? We're going to live by the, our faith is in the faithfulness of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We've been talking about that on Wednesdays because we're studying the book of Revelation. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now these are people who live in... Un now, ungodliness and unrighteousness is simply playing or doing things against what the Bible teaches. Now, I, did, I don't have any problem preaching the Bible because I didn't write it. I'm just giving off what God has already given. So I don't have any problem reading every verse, every scripture, every command, every warning, everything. He I don't have any problem preaching and teaching that to anybody. Because it's not my words, these are not my commands, it's not my godliness, it's not my righteousness, it's His. And here he says, the wrath of God's revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. What is ungodliness? What is unrighteousness? Anything that works against God, His word, and His attributes. That's ungodly, it's unrighteous. And then he says, because that, uh, uh, he says, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, that's not a bad way to say that in the English, but I want to show uh, you the, this scripture in the Greek. If you can, some of you have to really, you may have to go to the chiropractor after looking at this. <laughs> That'll all change, hopefully, by next week. For there is revealed, here's how it says it in the Greek. For there is revealed wrath of God from heaven upon all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who the truth and unrighteousness hold. Now think about that for a minute, that last bit. Who in the truth unrighteousness hold. Now the Greek talks a little different than we would. But who in the truth and unrighteousness holds. Can you all see that back there? Who in the truth unrighteousness holds. Now think about that. That could be, and I'll start with my own position. That could be somebody in a pulpit who's living ungodly, unrighteous, and yet trying to still handle this. Right? Judgment starts first where? In the house of God. Paul told those who lead those in the house of God, be not many masters, knowing you do what? Receive the greater judgment, the greater scrutiny. So the truth, and this is going on many places in our own country, people who have places of authority, right? Whether it's in government, in a pulpit, whatever, who hold the truth, God's truth, in an unrighteous position. All right? Think about that. Let me go on what he says here. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So basically, we are without an excuse whether you have been to church or not. That's what Paul's saying. You don't have to go to church to be accountable. Thank God for the places people can go. You don't have to have a Gideon Bible in your hotel room to be accountable. That's what Paul's saying. Do you realize that much of the people in the New Testament church, it was quite a while before any of them had anything written down? They were living by the way, the direction of the Holy Spirit and the attributes of God. So think about this. He says, because that they, what may be known of God was manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. You can't look out in the heavens or look outside and not know there's a God. And I'll show you why people do that in just a minute. Being understood by the things that are made. Now, the first thing, if you know what the devil's done, the devil has been more aggressive about going, I'm going to have to get out from behind here in a minute now. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. The devil has been more aggressive about hammering away at Genesis 1 through 11 than he has taken away from the book of Revelation. Notice what the devil's done in our school system. Some of the dumbest people we have are educators. And they should have been the smartest people we have. But when you forget God, when you kick God out of the equation, you don't have nowhere else to go. When I went to college, it was already going on then, and I'm getting old. Back in the mid-80s, when I was in college, I was in a biology class. And, I, and the professor said uh, he had a question. And it was all about creation, about things like creation. And I thought, well, I'm at a Christian school. Everything ought to be good. So, I'm, so I raised my hand to take the question. And I said, I said uh, well, <clears throat> from God, and he stopped me. And he said, now, Mr. Robbins, let's just say there's not a God. <clears throat> I said, well, we can't because there is. 
Now, I knew my rights, right? When you go to college, they don't wake you up and say, Honey, here's your Pop-Tart. Did you get your uh, homework done? You know, they don't happen in college. We got up at 6 o'clock and head to the track and run to get ready for a season. But when, when, when you go to class in college, you have more rights, right? Because you're paying to be there or like myself working it off to be there or whatever. You're in a situation where you're, they're, they're dependent on you being in those seats, right? So you have more rights. So I said, well, <clears throat> well, he said, let's say, Mr. Robbins, there's not a God. Well, the second time, I didn't say what I said till after this time. I said, well, from God, he stopped me again. And he said, let's just say there's not a God. I said, well, we can't. And he just finally took the question away from me and gave it to somebody else. Well, because, like I said, I was earning my keep to be there, I turned my chair and looked out the window the rest of the class. That was my protest because I didn't want the rest of those students to be deceived. I thought, I'm going to take a stand here. But that's where we're at. We have people who know who God is. They don't want a God. Now, here's why they don't want a God. It's not that they care who made the tree and the cow. They don't care about that. They love the shade and they love the steak, even if they don't believe in God, quote, unquote. They don't care about that. Here's the reason. Here's the main reason people don't want to give God credit for creating things, because they don't want to be accountable. You can give God praise for that. That's exactly right. They don't want to be accountable, and that's why they neglect Jesus, because Jesus came and walked a mile in our shoes. Right? You can have all these false gods because none of them came walked a mile in your shoes. Jesus came and walked a mile in our shoes. The Bible said he was tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin, but he faced everything we faced. He overcame it, and because of that, we are in him if we're born again, and that's why we're overcomers. But, but God calls us to accountability. He, he started with Adam and Eve. They went against him right off the bat. And you've heard me say many times, I don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. I've seen enough out of my own life to know I'd have blown it in the garden too. I'm not, I'm not throwing any rocks at them, but I'm saying that when they went against God, they had to answer for that. Now, the good news of the gospel, everybody say good news. Now, the gospel, that's a shallow way to say it. You hear people say the gospel means good news. It does. But the full definition of that word, eugelion, means good news with a reward. That's, that's even better news, right? That's better news. So God, the good news or the better news is, is that God sent his son to die in our place. And now I don't have to stand for my own judgment. He took it on himself. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, that's worth praising him for. So now God put my penalty and paid for my sins in Christ. If I believe and accept Him as my Lord and Savior and live in Him. That, that penalty's already been paid for. That's the good news of the gospel. Good news with a reward. And then he says, uh, these guys knew it, right? Since the creation of the world, that His attributes are seen, being understood by things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? Even if they don't have a Bible, Paul's saying they're still without an excuse. And he says, because although they knew God, and that's, the, that's what happened with Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew God. He knew who he was. He, he, his speech betrayed him early on in the book of Exodus. And when he starts talking about God, he's telling us he knows who he is. But he still resisted him. 
And he said, they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. And that's what I want us to be careful to do. The first thing you do when you go pray is what? Let's put, this, let's put that uh, prayer journey up there. The first thing we do when we go pray is that we give thanks. When you go through the gate, then you give thanks. That's the first. So we always want to be thankful. I don't care if you're in the worst trial of your life. You should give God thanks. Thank Him that you're on your way to heaven. Thank Him for all His goodness. Thank Him for all His blessings. Thank Him for something. Always be mindful and thankful. And that's why I kind of brought that back last week. I thought, we need, sometimes we can get so anxious or so caught up in the next thing that we forget to be grateful and thankful for what God's already done. And so let's make sure that we do that. And then he says, uh, professing to be wise, they became fools. Your mind and my mind does not work correctly apart from God. You're not wired correctly if you don't have God working in there. The soulish man, the mind, will, and emotions cannot operate correctly. So some of the so-called smartest people who have no regard for God are not wired right. And he says, and they changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creatures. That's what people do. They get so debased, they reject God, they start making wooden idols, animals, whatever, and they start worshiping them. And that's where Isaiah says, you cut a tree down, make an idol, then you burn what's left of the tree up in a fire. said, Somebody get that through your brain. If he were in our culture, he'd say, here's your sign, right? Get that through your brain. The very thing you made that God out of, quote unquote, you took what was left of the substance of your God and destroyed it. In other words, you've got power over what you just made. And yet they reject it. Now, he he goes on to say, therefore... God gave them up to uncleanness and lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's what's going on in America. That's what's went on in other countries. People are given over. Now we've got people in this country, in this state, in this very state, who are uh, advocating for adults to be able to have sexual relations with children. Stuff that they would have flogged you for 40 years ago in this state. We got people advocating for that across our land. Trying to normalize. Now notice what the world does. The world gets a concept to drive it, and it's Satan pushing it, right? Just like I said, Satan's tried to dethrone God as the creator. He has hammered against Genesis 1 through 11, because everything we have foundations for, from the family, the ways of God, and everything's found in Genesis 1 through 11. And so uh, that's why I'm thankful that God has raised up a banner of hope right here in our own state with Ken Ham and everything he does up there with the Creation Museum, the Ark. And I thank God for that. He's taking a stand, right? He's standing his ground. And so we need to, we are, we are, we should stand in the circles that we've had, that we have influence in as well. And he says that God gave them over. And here's what they did in verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God, right? 
They started suppressing the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served creature rather than creator. That's what half the world's doing now. They worship creation. They worship trees and water and things, things of which I read to you Wednesday night that still have to be around for God to do what he's going to do. When we read in Revelation 9 and 10, guess what was still here? Trees, grass, water. So this thing ain't ending like they're shouting on TV all the time. That's not how this is going to end. If you want to know how the world's end, read the book of Revelation. Read what Peter to us say. We may read a little bit of what Peter says in a minute. That's not, the earth's not going to implode from whatever they call it. They keep changing the name because they keep trying to get a broader audience. This earth is going to be destroyed, but it's going to be destroyed by the one who owns it. And it's going to be destroyed after he's taken you and I out of here and gotten his bride into the hoopah. So God's still in charge. We can't destroy the earth. We don't have the authority to destroy the earth. We do not own the earth. God owns everything. And so they change the truth of God. They worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what's happened. And that has grown exponentially. And we were the last holdout pretty much. And we're still the last holdout pretty much in the earth of not fully being given over to idolatry. That's what's enabled America to continue to stand is we've not been given over fully to idolatry. I hope that day don't come before God wraps this thing up or before he gets us out of here. But if that day comes, that's when America will find its last stand. When a nation gives over to idolatry, they're on the break of being destroyed. That's the, that's the final straw with God. When you look at a piece of wood, and let's just call this, here, When you look at a piece of wood and you look at that wood and say, I thank you for sustaining me. I thank you for no matter what it's carved into, whether it's carved into a lizard or a bird like they did in Egypt. And some of that's still going on today or uh, even actually Egypt made idols out of hemorrhoids. Do you know that? Yeah, that's how stupid we get when we stray away from God. Who would like one of them for your home? So, so this, this piece of wood, when you get in front of a, a false God and you say to that God, I thank you for sustaining me, feeding me, caring for me, whatever you do, that's a slap in God's face. Until I exhaustively studied Isaiah 20 years ago, I really got into the book of Isaiah about 20, and I realized that I used to would have said before that in ministry, I would have said sexual immorality when it's gone off the rails is the last straw before God judges a nation. But that's not it. That's the, what happens just prior to the final stage, which is idolatry. What happens when men and women get caught up in sexual immorality, they have to find a God that's okay with it because their conscience is continually telling them that it's not okay. And so when they live like that, they have to find a God that's okay with sacrificing their children on the fire with sexually abusing Tina. Do you realize the reason Paul had so many fits in Corinth is because the Corinthian church was letting the, the false gods and the false temples infiltrate into the house of God. Because they in Corinth, they would have young boys and girls, not of what we would call of age, like in their early teens, standing on top of these pagan temples advertising for prostitution. 
And that's how they would get people to come into their temples. To, and that stuff kind of stuff's going on undercover in this country we live in. There's all kinds of debauched stuff going on in Washington, D.C. and other places around this land. And it's even promoted. And we've seen a lot. I'm going to tell you, God is in charge. And there's going to be a payday someday for all that stuff. Amen. So it says they worship the, create, uh, the creation more than creator. we got countless people doing that around the globe. So who's going to stand up? It's going to be you and I. we got people suppressing the truth. we got to be the ones that stand for the truth. Amen? That's going to be our call. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. Just one book over, chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Let's listen to what Paul says here. He says, do you not know, in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's telling us all to stay in the lane and run the way we're supposed to. Do not get outside of God's jurisdiction. Amen? Do not get outside of God's jurisdiction. In other words, you and I have seen this. If you've been around me any time at all, you've seen that we call this the pisteo path. And stick man gets in the path, and he runs this. He stays in the path that God has in front of him. We don't get outside here. When we get outside here, we put ourselves at risk, right? All right? If we get out here, we'll start getting deceived. And that's the problem that most of the world's living in. And then he says, he says, uh, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, or moderate, Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Your race, my race, our spiritual life is the most important thing you you got going on. Now, I love my children, and I love my grandchildren. But the most important thing in their life is not their education. It's not how much money they make when they get a job. The most important thing in their life is this life of faith. Nothing else matters more than that, right? Everything else follows that. Because Jesus said, if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. So the number one thing in all of our lives is this life of faith, this, uh, as we call it, this pisteo path, the Greek word for believing and faithing, as we call it. This guy has been born again, he's still, and he's living a life of faith. He's, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye kingdom of God first, and all these other things will be added unto you. Your life of faith... My children's life of faith, my grandchildren's life of faith, and anything that we love and know, that's the number one priority. Everything else doesn't mean you can't do other things, we, but they have to come into their place. That's number one. It's not what, not what college they went to or what degree they got or anything. All those things have their place, but they shouldn't come in front of their faith. How many people did I see, even when I was in school, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, the, how many people did I see come to college believing in God and leave not? Because the smart people, quote unquote, in our culture, thinks it's not intelligent to believe in God. And they hand that off to other people. And I'm coming against that. We need to stand our ground. And then he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. He's fighting, right? Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. This is Paul talking here. So there's, he's continually living like this. Lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
All right? Or I think the King James says a castaway. I like both of those terms there. But that goes back to what I just read you in Romans. People who hold the truth in unrighteousness or ungodliness, right? And so what happens is, I'll give you one of my dilemmas. When I preach a funeral, if I don't know that person is saved or has walked with Jesus or not, it's tough. Of course, it's not my job. Let me defend myself here. It's not my job to put anybody in heaven. I don't have the authority to do that or put anybody in hell. But it's a tougher situation when you have somebody who the whole community run, knows run with the devil. And I've seen this. And A.W. Tozer said preachers are going to have to stand before God for this, putting somebody in heaven that everybody knows lived like hell. Now, the problem that I would face as a, I mean, I've preached a lot of funerals. The problem you face, so it's not my job to put anybody in heaven or hell. That's, I'm not qualified, nor do I have the power to do that. Jesus is the one that decides that. But when you stand before, and I'm cognitive of this, when you stand before people and say that somebody that everybody, nobody has any evidence of Christ at all, nobody's seen that at all, that they love the Lord at all, if you stand before a crowd and tell them they went to heaven, then you're suppressing the truth because I'm going to tell you this. I'm getting right out here with y'all this morning. I'm kind of liking this. We may not get carpet. <laughs> you're telling the people, and I, you know this, and Sister Marianne's had knee surgery, but she can tell you this more than I can because being in the funeral business a lot. There are people that come to the funerals that never go to church. It's the only time you get to talk to them. And it's one shot. So I try to stay focused on the gospel and what's at stake. You want people to know what's at stake with their death. But if I tell them that somebody who's lived like that they went to heaven, then I'm helping deceive them. Because how many people do you think sitting in that funeral will say, well, if they're okay, I'm okay. That's a dilemma, Right. You need to settle your own business with God. Everybody needs to make sure you're ready to meet the Lord because none of us have the tomorrow. You could collapse somewhere in the middle of Texas. None of us have the... And since then, there have been several people that I've heard about and, and we read about that collapse and don't get up. Same situation I had. So you, you got to understand God is in charge and you need to make sure you're right with Him. Because none of, I've buried people from just a few days old all the way to 99 and everywhere in between. I think the oldest person I buried was 99. And the youngest one was like three days old. I buried people from there and everywhere in between. Death is not a respecter of person. I'm not here for everybody to leave thinking they're going to die tonight or tomorrow. That's not my call. I'm just telling you you need to be ready. And how many times did Jesus tell us we need to be ready? Forget what I'm saying. Remember what Jesus said. We got to be ready. And so Paul said, I don't want to be a castaway. Well, that's what those people are in the first part I read in Romans. They're castaways. People who are uh, uh, not, they're living a lie and trying to hang something. And so they're suppressing the truth. The word castaway is akademos in the Greek. It means somebody, now listen closely to this. This will help you understand some other passages. Someone who's not approved rejected, disapproved, that leads toward reprobation. You cannot be a reprobate 
unless you had the knowledge of the truth. That's why Isaiah says a backslider is worse than an unbeliever. Because a backslider's got enough knowledge just to be mean about it. And so you got to have the knowledge. Some, we say this is a rebellious generation. You can only rebel what you, what you know. Most of this, these generations are blind. Rebellion means you understand what's going on and you're kicking against it. A lot of these people that are coming up in our world today have no knowledge. They get more MTV than they do Sunday school. Or social media, however they... I don't know if MTV's even on anymore, but... That was the thing that got my crowd. Let's all gather up and watch MTV. Now, let's go to Second Peter. <clears throat> Look what these guys did. We're, 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 there are the people who have the knowledge. Who have, and this country certainly has been one of the leading country with that. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, notice what these people do. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Verse 1 of 2 Peter 3. That you may be, verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us. So he's brought what the prophets said in and what the apostles have said. The apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where they suppress the truth, where they've tried to bring ungodly things together with the truth. So they're living ungodly, but they're saying they still believe the truth. We got certain segments of our society to make it fit what they want to do. Peter said they twist the scripture to their own destruction. We don't come to God's Word to make it fit us. We come to God's Word to fit ourselves to it. And then he says, he goes on to say, uh, the, uh, knowing this first scoffers will come in the last days. Sleep. All things continue. forget see that they willfully forget now there's another passage where Paul said if they're ignorant let them stay that way now that seems kind of cruel doesn't it harsh what's the root word of ignorant ignore they've chose to ignore these people what do they willfully forget they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. They willfully forget who made everything. Right? That's the big push. That's been the push in our universities. In our, not just America, all over the world. That's why I said the devil has worked the hardest on trying to make Genesis 1 through 11 null and void than any other part of the scripture. Because it means God's in charge. Genesis 1 through 11 means God's in charge. And when you take away that, then you have a free-for-all, and that's what's happened in our world. He said, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were evolved, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. They also forget, what? That there's a judgment someday. What'd they forget? They forgot God was the creator. 
and they forgot, willfully forget that he judges. That's a bad spot to be in. If you forget who's in charge, and if you forget there's going to be a test or a judgment someday, that is not a good spot. You better not live that way. I'm talking to everybody that's listening to me around this globe, gets this podcast and in this building. You better not live a life that forgets who's in charge and who you're going to have to stand before and give an answer to someday without anybody else. You're not going to have your mom there, your dad, your best friend, your preacher, whatever. It's going to be you and God. And there's not going to be any of this. Well, I and I, we already saw how that worked out. Some of them claim they did some big stuff and he didn't refute it. He just said, I don't know who you are. They said, we've cast out devils. We've done this. We've done that. He said, depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's the problem, right? Holding a little bit of truth in the iniquity, in the ungodliness, in the unrighteousness. That's why judgment starts at the house of God first. That's why since the 80s, we've been seeing God clean his house up. Why has he been cleaning his house up since the 80s? Because he's getting ready to clean the world up. I'll give you an example. Let's say all your children are playing in the yard with my children. And they all do something wrong. But all I get on to is your children and not my own. They leave a bad taste in your mouth, wouldn't it? So that's how God is. God's cleaning up his own house. And once he gets done cleaning up his own house, he's going to turn to the world and clean that mess up out there. And we've seen the messes he's had to clean up since the 80s. Some of them cost some of these churches millions and millions of dollars because of guys and women holding the truth in ungodliness and unrighteousness, suppressing it, becoming castaways like Paul talks about, making it of no regard. And he says they willfully forget. See that? He said they willfully forget that he's the creator. They willfully forget that there's going to be a judgment. And then verse 7, but the heavens and the earth are now preserved. What? What? You mean it's, the earth's not going to go away and blow up? Oh, it's not. It's preserved. Guess who's preserving it? The one who made it. Guess who can't pry his hands off of it? None of us. But he's going to, and when you read this in the Greek, it means God's going to renovate the earth and there'll be a new heaven, new earth. He's going to restore it. But it's going to be here. You saw that. He's all still here. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of what? Ungodly men. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be a separation of the sheep and goats. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be a kingdom in which there's no unrighteousness or nobody doing their own thing. That day's coming, and it's coming real soon. I looked for my um, hourglass, but y'all couldn't have seen it anyway. I just, it's like my blanket now. I try to, I'm like, now let's go to Jude. Look at two verses in Jude. Let's go to chapter one of Jude. Tell your neighbor, he's coming, he's coming down the back stretch here, so just hang in there. I need to get this whole process thought through you this morning. In verse 3 of, of Jude, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly, earnestly for the faith, which was once... For all delivered to the saints. So he's asking us, the word contend there, zomeia, it's a big long, about this long. 
epigonizomai is the Greek word. It means to contend strenuously in defense as a combatant. You can step on my toes all day long, and we can have different opinion about all kinds of things in the world. But I'm going to stand up for God's Word. Amen. Just standing up for my rights, we're just getting a big battle over that. But I'm going to stand up for God's Word. If it costs me my life, so be it. Because heaven and earth are going to pass away, but His Word's going to stand forever. So we're supposed to contend for the faith and defend it If we were as strong about defending God's Word and our faith as we are about other stuff, we'd really have it together. As a combatant, as a combatant. Now, you all know, and I'm careful about this, even when I counsel. If I have an opinion about something, I make it clear. I make it clear to the whole world. Because I'll I'll ask you all to say, everybody say, this is what the preacher thinks, right? So I ask you to repeat that so you know that it's an opinion. I do the same thing when I'm counseling. If I, if, I, if I have an opinion about something and it's not God's Word per se, I'll make it clear, hey, this is what I've seen. This is my opinion. But when it comes to God's Word, I don't care who gets mad, sad, glad, whatever. I'm going to stand with this Word. I'm going to defend it. And it's not like I'm defending myself because I didn't write it. God left it for us, and this, this is the guardrails for us to enter in, all right? Then he, he, he says, these are certain men have crept in unnoticed, and that's what's happened in the body of Christ. Certain men have crept in who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Here we go, this word again, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Do you see that? Now, how much of that's going on? Grace is like a dumpster now for people. You can be sexually immoral. You can do whatever you want to do. And they, that's what happens. That's what's happened in many circles inside the kingdom of God. They've turned the grace of our God into lewdness. And lewdness generally reflects to sexual immorality, uh, fleshly stuff, and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the problem. And the real, real problem, I started to say the realest problem, the, and I'm going to say it anyway. The realest problem is that it's not just outside. Now it's in what we call the church. And that's why God has been cleaning up His church. So that word contend means to strenuously contend as a combatant in defense of. All right. Last place, let's go to James chapter 5. I've got fresh revelation on this. Some of it's come out, but I want to kind of give you the whole, whole revelation of this uh, <clears throat> that I've been getting just in the last few weeks. Uh, James is my favorite book to hand off to a new believer. When, I, when I'm discipling somebody, a new convert, I get them grounded in the book of James because it's all about faith and practical Christianity. You need to get grounded in the book of James. And then we go to a couple, three other books before we just turn them loose. But I want you to start in verse 13, uh, James 5 and 13. Listen to what he says. Now, I finish this. There's a lot saying here. I can't get to all this. I want to focus on something to take you to where I want you to go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him do what? Pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. That's the Word of God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them do what? Pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you've seen us anoint people when they've come up front with oil, we're just following the Scripture and believing, right? There's no, no supernatural power in that oil. It's just in obedience to what he's asked us to do. And that's another teaching. <clears throat> but he says, and the prayer of, there's that word prayer again, anointing with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Then he says, so it's focused on prayer, right? Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you need to have a safe place to confess. Be wonderful if it's your spouse because nobody's going to pray for you the way your spouse will. But somebody in your circle, and it's sad, all right? We got to be able to have faith. Somebody in your circle that you can confess your faults to that you won't have to read about them the next morning on Facebook. A safe place. The Bible says love covers sin. Right? Did I read that in my Bible? So people need a safe space and, and such a good place to where that person won't share it in the form of a prayer request. Uh-oh, I ain't getting many amens. Let me slip on back out here for a minute. Some people gossip in prayer requests, don't they? Yes, they do. Shame on you. It's like the lady that's at the fence talking to her neighbor. <clears throat> she said, told her a big spiel about somebody, and the lady said, tell me more, tell me more. She said, I've already told you more, and I know. That's what happens when we get into gossiping, don't it? <laughs> so we don't want to do that. You want to have a safe space, and I pity you if you don't have a safe space. You need to find one where you can confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's how you get healed. I've written a whole article on that that was actually published in a magazine about how this works, in the, how it should work in the body of church, and that's another teaching as well. If y'all want to stay till about 3 o'clock, I can get all that in. And he says, Confess your trespass to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I'm going to get to those words in just a minute. And some of you heard me talk about them before. You and I, in it right now, because of prayer, you have more power available at your disposal, and I do, than Putin, than Biden, than anybody else. You got more power because of having access to prayer. And it's obvious to me that those guys don't pray or they wouldn't stand, either one of those guys and many others, or they wouldn't stand against the things that are in this world. Now, I'm not just picking on those two. We're, our world's full of that. But we have greater access than world leaders because we have power in prayer. What did he say? He said, this effective, fervent 
prayer avails much. The word effective is energio. It's where we get our word in the English, energy. Some of you are so lackluster when you pray, you fall asleep. Did I just tell the truth right there? Need some energy in your prayer. You need to be a combatant because what we just read in Jude, we do most of our battling as a Christian in our prayer closets. That's where we become combatants. We get energized. Why do we get energized? Because we want to stand for the ways of God. We know that's the salvation for the whole world, not just you and I, but everybody. That's why we stand with God, because that salvation that comes through His Word is going to be effective in your family, my family, the people we love. When we let the truth down, when we compromise the truth, we're not helping anybody. In fact, we're working on the other side and helping deceive them. So you and I are called to be combatants for the truth. The word energio means to be energized, the inworking of an individual. It's prayer that is beyond the intellect, prayer that's beyond emotion. We all get a move by our intellect, but we want to go beyond that into a situation where the Holy Spirit directs our prayers and we pray according to the will of God. I'm setting you up for the prayer journey with some of this. And it says, uh, the in, inner working of the individual, praying beyond the intellect into what we call intercession. If I took the word intercession and went around the body of Christ, most of them couldn't tell me what I'm talking about. If I talk to them about praying in the Spirit or praying beyond that where the Spirit prays through them, but it's things that can't even be spoken. That's the deepest form of prayer we see in the New Testament is when the Holy Spirit groans through somebody. There any, there's not even words that can be spoken. Not prayer work, nothing. Just groanings. The, the Bible says it cannot be uttered. A deep sense of recognition of prayer. This guy is energized. Now that he's going to give us a, a model. He's energized through prayer. The next thing is um, that he's, he says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It produces results. That's what he's saying. Now, let me tell you what Elijah did. This is the fresh revelation I had. The re- and he goes on. Let me read what he did. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. So he's a common guy, but he had power because he knew how to pray. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain. The, the nature was impacted by this guy because he had this effectual, fervent, energized, staying on task, prayer. But where did he go? If you go back to where God talked to Israel before they went into the promised land or as they were going in the promised land, he said, if you ever get into idolatry, he said, I'm going to withhold the rain from you. All right? So what Elijah did, he went back, and this, and we'll use this rug as God's word, he went back and stood on God's word and prayed. Are you following me? Now, it's more than that. That's when we're the most effective. That's why James said, when you pray, you pray amiss because you're not being led by the Lord. You're doing it based on your own desires. He said, that's why your prayers are not getting answered. You're praying according to your desires instead of the will and the heart of God. Elijah was doing what? Praying the will and the heart of God. Now, listen, it goes deeper than that. Elijah was living where that was going to happen. That's a man of God. Did you feel that? A guy who says, you know what? Even if it hurts me, 
I want to see your will be done. The Bible says that a righteous man swears to his own hurt and changes not because he made a commitment. He made a covenant. Elijah stood on God's word, prayed. His prayers caused the heavens to stop giving rain. But he was standing on God's word knowing that he was going to be impacted by the famine as well. But what did God do for him? He sent a raven by, didn't he? And there he was. When the brook dried up, the raven quit coming. Guess what he did? He sent him to a widow woman who had the chance of a lifetime, didn't she? Now I'm going to close here. He kept taking care of him because he stood on God's word. If you want to be taken care of in the crazy world we live in, you need to stand on God's word. I know you're going to have everybody around you that maybe don't do it. Maybe that way at work. Maybe that way even half your family don't give a hoot about God. But you and I are going to be the ones that are going to be blessed even in times of famine because we're going to stand on God's Word and we're going to say, God, we want you to perform your will even if I get caught in the crossfire of that will. Let it be so. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. God needs some people in the church that ain't sissies. God needs some people in the church to say, hey, I'm in this rebellious bunch. You do what you need to do, God, and I'll live with it because I'm on your side. I'm standing with you. When this earth's gone, when it's over and you return, I want to be riding my horse right with you. I'm coming back with you. I'm not more about anything else in this earth but you. Let your will be done. That's why Jesus tried to get that in us. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth, just like it is in heaven. I got news for you. If famine strikes the land or America gets tilted some way and we're all in trouble I tell you God still knows where the ravens are at he still knows where the brooks are at he still knows where the widows are at he still got some barrels of meal that will not run dry if I was counting on this world to take care of me I'd have give up a long time ago but I'm counting on the one that made this place to take care of me and I'll give you this final lesson he went over to the widow woman the widow woman had a chance of a lifetime. What do you mean? He had a winning lottery ticket in his robe somewhere? No. That ain't a chance of a lifetime. Read most of those people. They wind up with nothing when it's over. She had the chance of a lifetime. Here come the prophet. Just like an old preacher, right? Old preacher, he wants something to eat all the time. Just like you want a preacher dog to come back, keep feeding them. They'll keep coming back. She's there. She said, Elijah's talk, having this conversation. Said, uh, she said, he basically asked her what the situation She said, well, we got enough to make one more meal, and then me and my son are going to die. What an outlook, right? He says, well, make me something first. What an arrogant TV preacher. <laughs> right? She could have got offended, like the New Testament, when the woman said, hey, I need my daughter. Jesus said, yeah, we don't give the crumbs off the master's table to dogs. She said, she could have got offended, but she kept coming. I like that. The widow woman, you imagine what she's thinking, walking back to her barrel, thinking, can I do this? Can I feed him before I be my own son? What sense does that make? But this was her chance. This was her moment. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. She had the chance of a lifetime because she had her opportunity to put faith in God in the middle of a famine. 
And Elijah had all this faith built up in him because he watched God take care of him in the midst of the famine. But he was a man that was willing to suffer and hurt himself just so God's will could be done. That's you and I. That's who we're called to be. And so you know the story. She makes him something first. She goes back and the, meal, the barrel never runs dry as long as the famine's going on. How many times are we missing that move of God? Even supernatural move of God. Because we won't let go of what we got in our hand. That, wi- that woman in the New Testament came to Jesus with that alabaster box. Some theologians believe the value of that perfume in that box was worth a whole year's worth of wages. She broke the box. Other people think the value is the box. Oh, don't break my box. Look how pretty it is. She broke the box. Poured it all out on Jesus. Do you have anything in your possession that you're not willing to pour out on Jesus? It's not that God may not require it of you. But whatever, there should not be anything in our lives that God's not allowed to touch. We belong to Him. And we need to be the people that get in line like Elijah and say, we want your will to be done, even though we know the negative consequences of that may affect us. Because we're on your side. And what God do for him? Just kept taking care of him, taking care of him, taking care of him, taking care of him. And I'd say if we had access to the records of Israel at that time, we would have seen all kinds of people that God, like that widow woman, that put their trust and faith in God, being blessed and taken care of. Now I'm going to tell you something. We do know this. We know the world systems are going to keep struggling and collapsing you better be making sure that God's first in your life. Amen? And that works, my friends. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, we're thankful today for all the blessings you've given us. But most of all, we're thankful for the salvation you've given us and the Holy Spirit and each other there's not a perfect person in this building Lord none of us are perfect there's not a person in this building that's not in the wrong at times Lord we all fall short come short of your glory we need you Lord we need you every single day we need you watching over us protecting us leading us and directing us. We can't make it without you. I testify to these people this morning, Lord, that I'm a worm. I testify that I'm no good without you, Lord. I testify that you've made the difference in my life. I testify that it's by mercy and grace that I stand It's not by my years of service or what level of intellect I have or things I think I've accomplished. It's by your grace 
and your mercy. That's what's enabled me to stand. That's what's enabled all of us to stand, Lord. None of us have any stones to throw at Adam or Eve or anybody else for that matter, Lord. We want you to find us faithful. We found you faithful. We found you faithful. We want you to find us faithful. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, I don't know what that means. I'm not here to die. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you've never known God. Maybe you're just now hearing the gospel for the first time. You're watching, listening, whatever. Today's your day. You need to just surrender to Christ. And maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you've just been kind of staying in the shadows. You've not really been contending for the truth of God. We're not talking about contending for the church or the preacher or the bill. We're talking about contending for God's Word. Maybe you've been bashful about that. Maybe today's your day to be filled with boldness so you can stand at work or wherever, wherever the time arises. As we worship Him, this altar is open if you need to come and pray.